So like Chris said, we're in a series called Necessary Losses, and we've been talking about sins that our culture has deemed um, almost necessary. We talked about lying, gossip. Um, This morning, Todd preached on anger, and tonight, the sin that we're going to be talking about is sexual lust. Now, the reason that this really bothers me, this sin concerns me, is because it's so prevalent. And so often we do just swipe it under the rug. I've heard a ton of people say, you know, it's just something that every guy struggles with. And I want to say right off the bat, this message is not just for guys. Um, To prove my point, uh, go to the movie theater on Valentine's Day and see how many women are lined up to go see Fifty Shades of That Crap is Dirty, okay? Uh, It is not just about men, okay? Lust is an issue that everybody struggles with. Uh, In fact, there was a study in Christianity Today for Women let's say one in six women will struggle with pornography. One in six. And uh, if you have teenage kids, um, the number one group of people, the largest saturation of people that watch porn or are in a part of that industry um, as far as consuming is between the ages of 12 and 17. Um, so if you're a parent of a teenager, this message is really good for you to, to learn some tips on how to help your kids. So I hope that you uh, pay attention and listen to how uh, God might be Uh, enabling you to be able to be there for them. Um, But like I said at the beginning, if you have a kid and this is something that gets uncomfortable at any point, uh, don't feel uh, obligated to stay. You can walk out and it won't be uh, any sweat off my shoulders. Another reason why this issue is so big and so prevalent is because there is so much um, out there, and it's so easy to access in this generation. We are a generation of technology, and it's not like before where you were... uh, sneaking up to your parents' room after they've fallen asleep looking for your dad's uh, Playboy stash. But you've got it right in your hand on any mobile device, whether that be your phone, your iPad, or your computer screen. The access is everywhere. And also, if you just flip on your television, you'll realize that as a society, as a whole, we've become so much more tolerant to uh, lustful images, so much more tolerant to things that we can deem as acceptable and okay. And so I want to preface this message before we get any deeper. If you aren't a Christian in the room tonight, you're off the hook. Uh, This message isn't for you. uh, As far as I don't expect you to live this way, because if you're not a Christian, we can't hold you to that standard. But what I do hope is this. What I do hope is that through this message, you'll realize that there are a lot of people in life living halfway, living empty lives, uh, living broken lives. And God has something better. God has something better. So if that is you, and you're not a Christian in the room, I hope you find that tonight. But if you are a Christian, you're not off the hook. Uh, This message is definitely for you. I think that anytime Jesus speaks to us, it's important that we take his word seriously. And he talks about this specifically in Matthew. Uh, And not only does he just specifically call us out on this, uh, but his words are very convicting. And So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew uh, chapter 5. We're going to read verse 27 and 28. If not, it will be on the screen. And it says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now when we started this series called Necessary Losses, we went through all the things that we would call undeniable sins. We talked about how rape is an undeniable sin. Stealing is an undeniable sin. And we said that adultery was an undeniable sin. And I know that from just personal experience of people and things that I've seen in my own life, in my own world, people that I care about a lot, uh, friends, adultery is a wrecker. 
Uh, adultery, when that sin is introduced into relationships, it destroys lives. And Jesus is saying here that this uh, idea of lust, just lusting with your eyes in your heart, brings on that same amount of destruction. It's the same thing. And James goes further in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, and he tells us how this isn't just a sin, but it's actually really, really dangerous for us. And it says this, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now that's a pretty powerful scripture. Um, because what it's saying is this sin, when we leave it underlying, when we hide it, when we don't bring it into the light, when we get on a computer screen and never tell anybody, and we think that it's just this thing that is not going to affect our life, what happens is this sin becomes like a parasite, and it can literally hijack your life. It can literally hijack your life. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when it talks about death, what does that mean, death, that sin gives birth to death? Well, it means death to intimacy, it means death to relationships. It means death to honesty. And ultimately, it means death spiritually. Because any time that temptation is led to action, it leads you feeling the sense of void, the sense of emptiness. As a matter of fact, the word uh, entice is a, a fishing term. Now, I'm not a big fisherman. Uh, I fished a few times with my grandparents. But, you know, I was good at fishing, just not good at taking them off the hook. I think it's disgusting. Uh, so I would typically let my 70-year-old grandma do it for me. But that's besides the point. So enticing is like when you bait a hook. And so spiritually, Satan does the same thing. What he does is he whispers something to you, and he says, this is going to give you comfort, and this is going to make you feel good, and this is okay, and nobody will know, and this is all right. And so what happens is you bite onto that bait, and one time, one slip up, and you're hooked. As a matter of fact, the word entice, it, translated in the Greek word, the Greek word for this is awesome, and I want you guys to say it after me. The Greek word is diliadso. Can you repeat that? Diliadso. Doesn't that just feel like you're casting a Harry Potter spell or something? Diliadso. And diliadso literally translates to, to entrap or to hook. And so Satan does this. He traps us and he hooks us. And I want to give you a, a few ways that I believe that he hooks us, this process that I believe takes place. The first thing that I think happens is we're exposed. We're exposed to something. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Maybe you're uh, a kid and you're with the next door neighbor as a child and you say, hey, let's play doctor. I'll show you mine, you show me yours. Suddenly that innocence is gone. Maybe you're that kid who's being drugged along in the mall with his mom because you're gawking at the Victoria's Secret model, you know, with your mouth hanging open. I was that kid. All I know is I really, really wanted to figure out what Victoria's Secret was, okay? That was probably an inappropriate joke to make. <clears throat> Maybe for you it was you were on a computer, and you saw an ad, and you clicked on the ad, and that ad took you to a website, and so you clicked on a link on that website, and eventually you were submerged in this just crap, seeing things that you were never intending, uh, never meant to see. I hate to say this because this could be true for a lot of people, uh, and it's really a heartbreaking reality, but maybe as a child, your innocence was taken by an authority figure, and you were abused. That, that piece of you that was innocent, that was pure, was removed from you. You were exposed. And so what happens, the second step, you're exposed, and then you're injured. 
your mind suffers an injury. Uh, I remember the first time I saw something. I was in the fifth grade, and I was over at a friend's house, and um, his mom had gone out to get groceries for the next morning, and he, he's like, guys, hurry, you know, come on, come into the computer room. And I'm sitting there watching this, not knowing even what it is that I'm watching or why I'm watching it, you know, as an 11-year-old. And uh, I know this is kind of hard to believe, but I lived a pretty sheltered life. And so in the fifth grade, I didn't even know what sex was. I literally didn't even know, like, what that was. I didn't care about it. It wasn't in my mind. And so I'm seeing this twisted version of, of sex. And I suffered an injury in my mind. I can tell you exactly what I saw when I was 10, 11 years old. Because it's an injury, it's a wound. And the same thing happens any time that you're exposed. And so what happens is you're exposed, you're injured, and then the third thing is you're confused. What happens is you go, okay, so I really, really like this, but I feel ashamed. It's this simultaneous feeling of, I want to watch this, but I know I shouldn't watch this. And so what happens when we feel this sense of confusion um, is we get really, really good at justification. We get really, really good at justifying things. You know, I'm a single guy. Nobody has to know. It only affects me. It doesn't affect anybody else. So for right now, this is okay. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe your story is, you know, yes, I'm married, but if, if my wife or my husband was providing for me in this way in the bedroom, I wouldn't have to go there. And this could save my marriage, so this is okay. And you justify again. Maybe you're that person who says, when I'm married, this is just going to go away. You know, when I'm married, this issue, this struggle that I have, it's just going to disappear. And then you get married, and it doesn't. And so you're left feeling like, man, do I have a passion problem? And the reality is, you don't have a passion problem. You are suffering from a wound that has not been healed yet. And so you feel like Paul in Romans 7. Paul tells us in Romans 7, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. Romans 7 is one of the most frustrating chapters of Scripture for the simple reality that it's so true in our lives. Paul understood this feeling of just absolute confusion. Maybe for you, you get convicted, um, and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. And you close the laptop, and you say, I'm going to walk away from this, and I'm, I'm going to move on, and I'm not going to struggle with this anymore. Maybe this is your story. And then four days later, you fall right back into it. Now all the holy people in the room are sitting there going, wow. Shame on you. And all the real people are going, no, Blake, it's more like two days. Because that's what happens. What happens is you go from being uh, sexually sober to sexual binges because you were suffering from a wound. And what happens is when you don't treat a wound, it just gets worse and worse, and then it gets infected, and it starts to stink, and it starts to just be this almost uncontrollable reality in your life. And so what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I want to read Psalms 119, verse 9. It says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? How can a person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? In other translations, that ends with saying, by guarding your word, by guarding what is true in your word. See, what happens is we have to learn how to protect the wound. Now, I believe that God is a healer, and God can heal the wound completely, but I also understand that first, we have to protect the wound. When I was in high school, I played football, and I was running back and a linebacker, and I got hit a lot. Now, some of you guys are going, if you played linebacker, isn't it your job to hit other people? But you also have to remember that I was 
maybe 180 pounds soaking wet, and I played middle linebacker. So while I made tackles, most of them was me sliding down their body, shoestring tackles. Yeah, so I got hit a lot. And I remember before the season even started during two-a-days, um, I got hit in the wrist, and it busted open my wrist. Probably should have got stitches, but I never did. And uh, before every game, I would have to wrap up my wrist. And the trainer would always say, if you don't protect this, it's just going to keep busting open. And it did. The whole season, every game, it busted open every single time because I was still in a place where I was being attacked, where I was getting hit, where the wound was exposed. And so often we do that in our life. So often we don't acknowledge that we've been injured. We don't acknowledge the wound, and so we continue to put ourselves in situations where the wound is in danger of being exposed, where the wound is in danger of being hit and busted open again, a time and time and time again. And it leaves us broken, leaves us feeling unworthy, and it leaves us feeling completely bound by this struggle. We have to learn how to protect the wound. Um, scripture tells us that if your eye causes you to sin, that you should gouge it out. It says that if your right arm causes you to sin, you should cut it off. And basically what scripture is saying is, is if your fleshly body is causing you to sin, you should sacrifice it to save your eternal self. You should sacrifice it to save your eternal self. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm hoping that Scripture wasn't being super practical. Uh, because if it was, I feel like next Sunday we would all walk in looking like one-armed cyclopses. We'd have to do the buddy system when we were flipping pages, you know, different things like that. Um, but we have to learn how to protect the wound. And so how do we do that? How do we uh, prevent ourselves from being in those uncomfortable situations? And I think that we have to look at some real practical things. And so I just want to give you a few practical ideas uh, for ways for you to avoid this. Now, some of you guys might say, well, Blake, tell me how I can fight this. I want to know how I can fight this issue because it is ruling in my life. And I just want to beat it. I just want to overcome it. I just want to overpower it. Well, when Paul's talking in Scripture about sin, he always says to either fight it or to resist it. Always, except for when he's talking about sexual uh, issues. And what he says about sexual issues, sexual immorality specifically, is he says that you should flee from it. You should flee from it. And so here are some techniques that I'd like to just give you. The first one is this. It's this concept of starving the sumo. Now, like I said, I weigh about 175 pounds, and so a typical healthy diet for me would be about 2,000 calories. Now, you can imagine a sumo wrestler is like five of me, and so they're consuming around 10,000 calories a day a day. And what happens is because they eat so much, their stomachs grow, and that's what helps them have an appetite and be hungry for more and for more and for more and for more. And that happens with us. When we feed our own, our own impulses to lust after something, when we get on the computer, when we look at those things, when we look at the girl at the gym, when we do those things, we're feeding the sumo wrestler and just making him fatter and fatter and making his appetite more and more and more every time. And so the concept of starving the sumo is this. If you stop feeding the sumo, slowly but surely his stomach starts to shrink. Slowly but surely he doesn't have that raging appetite or the ability to even consume that. And so what you're doing is you're literally killing the thing that's killing you. The next uh, next kind of practical concept is really simple. Um, You guys can get blocks on your TV screens, on your TV programs, Um, maybe it's just a a choice to not go see that rated R movie. You know, I know for me, this is a big one, because I've justified so many times, like, 
why not go to that rated R movie? It's not that bad, and it's not going to cause me to sin, and it's not going to really affect my life. And, you know, we justify so many things because we don't think that it really affects us. And what happens is uh, the problem with lust is that it's a gateway sin, like a gateway drug. It leads you into uh, deeper valleys. And what I mean by that is, um, no, you might not uh, do something absolutely absurd or insane by watching a rated R movie where you see a sex scene. But I promise you, a man doesn't wake up one morning and just say, after a long marriage that was happy and fulfilled, that I want to leave my wife. See, it starts somewhere. It starts somewhere. So maybe it's just that. There's another technique, and it's called bouncing your eyes. It sounds silly, uh, but it's a real thing. So you see something, and you just bounce your eyes immediately. A lot of you guys are going to be in the gym tomorrow, and you're going to get dizzy, you know, just constantly bouncing back and forth. But it's diverting your attention off of something that's going to cause you to stumble and refocusing on something that is good. So bouncing your eyes. The last thing that I want to talk about is you can't just try to protect yourself, protect the wound. You have to do something else. It's a two-part process. So you protect the wound. You set up systems. And the reason that you set up systems is because uh, of this reason. You know, you might have been sitting here thinking, Blake, I don't need these techniques. I don't need these tips. And do you really need all of this stuff? Uh, As a matter of fact, I want to talk about something else, actually, with that. There's a program that you can get, and I want all the men, I challenge all the men in the room to do this. Uh, Look up on your computer, Triple X Church. There's a program called Triple X Watch. And when you download it, it creates a new browsing tab for you. And so every time you go on, if you go to look at a site or something that you shouldn't be looking at, it emails um, your accountability person, whoever you decide uh, to put in there as your accountability person. And so it's just a really way to set up a system and so you don't fail, so you don't fall. And so what I'm I'm trying to get at here is, do I think that you're weak? No. Do I think that I'm weak? No. But do I think that we should be smart? Yes. Because while we might be good 364 days out of the year, what about that one day where we're vulnerable? You know, what about that one day where we feel a little weak, where Satan knows that he can get a foothold in our life? He's going to take advantage of it. But if we have systems in place, it will move from temptation into action to just temptation and resistance. And so first, you, know, you have to protect the wound. But the second step is you have to pursue righteousness. Uh, I want to tell you why. Everybody close your eyes. I know it sounds silly. Everybody close your eyes, please. Everybody eyes closed. Okay. Now, I don't want you to think about this. What I'm about to say, I don't want you to think about. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about a pink elephant. Pink elephant. Don't think about the pink elephant. Okay, open your eyes. Now, I can guarantee about 95% of the room pictured a pink elephant in your head. If you didn't, you were specifically saying, all right, let's think about something else so I don't. And what happens is we get so caught up in beating this sin and this struggle um, and having a good defense is that we're constantly telling ourselves, don't think about lustful things, don't think about lustful things, don't think about lustful things. And what we're doing is ultimately thinking about lustful things. And so instead of just uh, using all of our energy to not think about lustful things, we have to learn how to use our time and energy to pursue something that is holy. Just being transparent and open with you guys, I know that the times in my life where I'm most susceptible to fall into this stuff is when I'm not waking up pursuing Jesus. It's the days that I just get apathetic in my faith. But those days when I do wake up and I say, you know what, today is going to be about me pursuing Jesus, and I feel like I have this passion in my heart to do something good and purposeful, and I'm reading my word and I'm staying in it, I don't have time 
to fall into temptation. Because those things that look good, those things that I, I think I want, suddenly don't become that good because I'm focused on the only thing that is good. And so we have to learn how to pursue something that is righteous and that is holy. I'm going to invite Pete and uh, Chris back up to the stage. And I just want to end with this. Tonight, you might be sitting out there thinking, like, you don't know how much I've struggled with this in my life. You know, I've had this addiction, this problem that I've tried to beat, and I've never been able to beat it, and I just feel, like, really unworthy. And if that's you, if you think that this message was intended on condemning you, I want you to know that there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Tonight, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. That's not the intention here. Because the reality is, no matter how broken you feel, no matter uh, how uh, dirty or perverted you might feel for some of the things that, that you've done in a lustful way, what happened to you was you were wounded. And you're in a place right now where you can be healed. Where you can come to the Father who can heal you. And so two things. First, if you're ever on the receiving end of somebody who's trying to get help and come clean about this stuff, would you not look at them like they're a freak? Would you realize that there's somebody that was wounded, that sustained an injury, but that's trying to get help? And if that is you in the room, stop wasting your energy beating yourself up and realize that tonight is the perfect time to come to the healer, to start putting your energy and your time into pursuing righteousness and something that is good and meaningful. Because there's a flip side to Romans 7. You know how I talked about how Paul, he felt so confused and he did the things he didn't want to do. And he didn't do the things he wanted to do. See, the next chapter in Romans 8 is all about how God's love is reconciling and it's redeeming and it's restoring. Well, that's true for you guys tonight. See, I believe that God has the power to heal wounds in such a way that your life can be transformed tonight. He will set you free if you come to him. I asked Pete to come to the stage because uh, I asked him to share a little bit of his story because I think he has a really good example of how there is another side to this that sometimes we do feel oppressed by our sin and our struggle and it's real but Pete is on staff at a church and I think his story is beautiful about how God redeems situations and I asked Chris to sing a song that I think kind of ties that in so in the next six minutes while he's telling his story and while we're going through this song would you just think about your own life and how this speaks truth to you hello as he said, I'm Pete Shively, and I've struggled with pornography for most of my life. Um, again, like he said, introduced to it at a really young age uh, online, and it was no big deal. It was just, for me, it was just what I did. It was a part of my life. I, I hid it from my parents, you know, sneak into the computer room in the middle of the night. It's just what I did with my downtime in high school and college. It's, you know, every guy did it. Um, you know, fast forward through college, I met a girl, we dated all through college, we got married, graduated, and bought a house in one month. Talk about a lot of stress. Um, I hid it from her. She didn't know about it. Um, again, not a big deal. It's who I was, but I, I knew it was something I wasn't supposed to talk about. You know, Fast forward about six, seven months, I found out she has been cheating on me. You know, 
part of that could have been because of my pornography. I wasn't paying enough attention to her. I don't know, but we were divorced. And then within a week, she was remarried. I can't tell you how worthless that makes you feel. Yeah, I still loved her. I still wanted to be with her in that marriage and save that, but she was gone literally before the divorce, the divorce was final. She married and moved across the country. Um, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I, for the most part, was a clean-cut, goody-two-shoes kid. Um, but that porn was right, or pornography was right there for me. It was an escape. I, I escaped to it. Uh, to relieve the stress of, you know, of life, of not feeling worthy. And it was just something easy to do. And like in Romans, I, I, Romans 7, I felt like I didn't want to do this, but I did it anyway because of how it, it had a grasp on me. You know, I hated myself. I wasn't good enough, so what did it matter? I had thought I hit rock bottom, and, you know, divorced at 24, 25 years old. I mean, that, that's not supposed to happen. But that wasn't rock bottom for me. My life was consumed with pornography. I had a lot of downtime uh, training to go into the Navy. I didn't have a daytime job, so I had a lot of time. And it just drove me into the darkest part of my life. And when I finally, finally hit rock bottom, it was like God slapped him upside the head saying, idiot, I've been right here with you the entire time. So hitting rock bottom, I went back onto the right path, started going to church. Uh, still, I was ignoring it. I didn't deal with it. I didn't deal. I just turned the other direction, but did not deal with the underlying issue. Until uh, you stumble. I mean, it's there. You're going to stumble. No one's perfect. I remember, you know, we, I got remarried uh, four years later. Again, still a secret. Uh, she didn't know. I thought I had it under control over, after those years of being single, that it would go away. I could control it. I was married again. didn't need this. But it controlled me. I was a self-employed, and that's a stressful thing. Marriage is stressful. Working from home and having easy access, that was stressful. So it was an easy escape. Instead of dealing with stress, I just went straight to pornography. It was one of the big reasons that my second marriage ended in divorce. So here I am, 35 years old, twice divorced. Again, that should not be me. And let me tell you, this is an addiction. I remember after the second divorce, I had a, going to counseling, going to, you know, I had that filter on my computer and I had zero access to it. And I remember finding myself on the floor, cringing, and my entire body ate like I was going through withdrawal. And in Psalm 42:10, it says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me all day long, saying, where is your God? Going through those times, I had dreams, and I remember these dreams vividly 
of demonic creatures either beating up like what I viewed as me as like a, a small boy, as like my innocence, and I was trying to protect it. And he said, you, and then another one was like, just a dragon-like creature beating the living hell out of me, saying over and over again, you cannot defeat me. <laughs> I'm, I'm tearing up right now because that, those, those dreams still scared the living death out of me. Luckily, at that point, I was surrounded by a lot of godly men who I trusted. I was, that was the start of my career as a media director at a smaller church. And I finally addressed the underlying issue of how, did, how I dealt with stress. What was causing me to go to pornography? You know, you, I still struggle with it. I still, it's still there. The temptation will always be there. Just like that song said. You know, you're always going to catch that eye, and, but you have to bounce it. And I bounce mine to, you know, still keeping my eye on the prize, like Paul said. You, you can't, you have to keep your eyes on the goal. You know, it, it's not a pornography problem. It's a sin problem. And I had to admit to myself that I was broken and that I needed to completely surrender myself to God.
Would you bow your heads? Dear God, right now in this place, I believe you're already working your hand to heal, to heal the wound of the enemy, God. And right now, I just want to pray for every person in this room. God, if somebody is in this room who uh, just feels absolutely consumed by their sin, consumed by this struggle with lust, Lord, I just pray that right now you would proclaim your victory in their life, that you would let them know that there is another side, that you break chains, God. God, I just pray that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves. We know that we're only as strong as we are honest. And so right now in this moment, God, I just pray for honesty. Lord, thank you for Pete and his heart to give his testimony and for the work that you've done in his life in transforming somebody who struggled with this thing that was binding and giving him true freedom. Lord, I pray that for everyone in the room tonight. Ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. During this time, um, I just invite you to stand and to sing with the band and Chris. Um, And I invite you to respond in whatever way God's calling you. Uh, Maybe for you, the way that you want to respond tonight is just by coming down here at the altar and saying, you know what? This has been an issue for me my entire life. My whole life and I've always thought it was my fault maybe time for the first time you realize that you've suffered from a wound and you just continued to hit your wrist and bust that wound open would you come down to the altar tonight and just say God would you start healing me would you do that maybe the way that you want to respond is by uh, taking communion which represents Christ's body broken for you and for me and the blood that covers over all of our sin you see that that's the thing that makes this whole thing so beautiful while lust is something that a lot of us struggle with there's freedom from that because of what Christ did on the cross he said yeah that sin struggle might be big but I'm bigger you don't have to stay there when he was nailed to that cross he broke our chains you remember that tonight and thank him for that.